Hello, everybody, and welcome to the UESP podcast. I'm your host, Pylon, and apologies tonight as we were working on a few technical difficulties while we got set up, but I think we should be good to go now. So let me introduce our cast with us tonight. Down below me, we have Lost in Hyrule. Do you want to give an introduction of yourself there? Yeah. I go by Lost in Hyrule anywhere I can on the internet. I've been with USP for about a year and just recently was promoted from junior moderator to full-fledged red moderator on the UESP Discord. So I try to make sure people are relatively nice to each other there. (laughs) Awesome. And AKB playing Skyrim in the center square. Yep. Is it still on Skyrim? It is currently on Skyrim. Well, that's a problem. It should not be. (laughs) (laughs) We'll work on that. Um, and we'll, like you said, technical, technical difficulties. Yeah, we've had a few technical difficulties today. Most of them are me trying to make things better and then breaking everything in the meantime. And um, beside AKB, we have Alara, another familiar face. Yeah. So I do a little bit of everything on the UESP. I edit the wiki, admin the forum and Discord, and do a little bit of social media. Awesome. And a new face to the top right here, Talusa. Do you want to introduce yourself and what you do? Hi, uh, so I'm Toulouse, and I have, I'm honored to be here. First of all, I've been using uh, UESP for years, collecting all the information, and of course, uh, when I'm playing, but I have created a uh, D&D supplement that takes place in Elder Scrolls uh, using the 5th uh, edition rule set, and I'm happy to talk about that when we can. Yeah, we'll be talking about that later in the show, and I'm really excited to go over that too. So it's nice to have you on the show, and you're going to join us for the whole thing so we can go through the news. And I think while we wait for AKB to still see if he can figure out his stream, I don't know what's going on there, uh, we'll switch over to the news. Mm. weird it does not seem like we're able to get akb stream working for right now so we'll have to work on that figure out what's going on later actually while we wait i'm gonna get you uh lost to introduce some of the news that we have we have a new event in eso do you want to mention that so the event that's going on right now is basically over a month long and it's just going to be the only event that they have going on this quarter is my understanding And it's every day, as long as you use and partake of that cake, you get two event tickets. So all in all, I think you can get 72 event tickets throughout the event, though if you're just hearing this now, you will be a tiny bit behind. But still, a lot of event tickets for the price of pressing a single button to eat cake. Well, two buttons to eat cake. you got to summon it and then eat it. Still, it's pretty easy. <laughs> and at the same time, there are each week um, you get special daily chests for doing various events, and those are going to be giving out motifs for or styles either one for the different members of the five companions so this first week you were able to get styles related to the prophet so his fancy old robes 
And I think you get his staff too, maybe some weapons. Apparently I'm frozen. You are frozen, but I'm working on it while you talk. So, Lost, where were we when we cut out? I believe you were about to mention how you actually achieve getting the profit style pages. So this week you can daily get chests or boxes related to the profit for doing crafting writs. And throughout the five weeks of the event, each of the first four weeks is going to be a different member of the five companions. So I don't remember the exact order, but one of them is going to be Lyris, so you get the Titanborn stuff. One of them is going to be Abner Tharn, and one of them is going to be Sai Sahan. And you'll just have to check each week to see what it is that's going to be rewarding stuff. One of them is going to be PvP-focused activity. One of them is going to be dungeons. So just keep an eye out for that. But right now, if you want profit stuff, time is running out. I don't remember how many days are left, but there's not many. However, on the fifth week, all of the options are going to be available, and you'll be able to do a free-for-all to get any of the different types. So there's a lot of opportunity both for event tickets and for some cool outfits. Awesome. Thanks for that update there. Yeah, so five years of ESO, and we've got tons of good yeah, news. Looks, yeah, it looks like the first week um, ends at on the 11th at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So I still so, have time. <laughs> yep. And then uh, the next week starts then immediately at that point, and that will be focused on clearing delves and monsters. And if you're looking for the costume stuff, I believe all the costumes stay in the store after the week is completed. So on your fifth week, you can pick up event tickets and spend, I think it's five for each uh, costume piece, and you can pick up all four of them. Oh, That's right. The, the impresarios got all the goods. I will probably be doing that rather than trying to figure out getting an Indrik this one. I'm just going to spend all my event tickets on that, so that's good to know. And Also a, a reminder that uh, there's the uh, new Indrik for this event, too, for yes. ESO. Yes, there's another Indrek so, with new berries and new feathers to achieve. Hopefully you've already got some of those tickets saved up so that you can get all of them. Because I believe there was, I think they said 72 potential tickets that you can achieve during this event. So you'll just need a couple more to be able to grab the full Indrek and berry evolution if you want to this, yep. this turn. And they're yeah, only available to... during this event. You need, a, a new, sorry. you need a new nascent uh, Indrek pet. Yes. She used the berries to transform it. Otherwise, uh, so you'll need to start working your way towards that if you haven't already. Yeah, I'm just collecting the berries first and just holding on to feathers get once feathers I get them. next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. And there, there'll be a pet too, like there was last time. Week five, that'll be available. Awesome. Um, and then, Alara, did you want to do a quick mention of what's going on in... Um, Blades news before we move on to the well as I'm sure we all know one of the biggest comments in Blades is the silver chests and they have heard our <laughs> comments and they did say that they're going to be doing something about that their exact phrasing was we're looking at all your feedback and rebalancing the most difficult enemy in the game the silver chest so we're not quite sure what they're going to be doing yet but I hope they decrease the time yeah, I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of us have been discussing that basically a one hour silver chest and we'll be happy overall with how mm -hmm. things are balanced for the most part. Some people still won't be happy, but that's obviously going to be the case with any game. Lost, did you have another point you wanted to make on that? Not especially. We're not, we don't have a lot of time to discuss blades, but we have 
discussed and argued a little bit over the week about how the system overall works. And I don't know if we said it on stream, but a thing I think is interesting is that in this game, the playtime limiter is a soft cap on the amount of rewards you can get. Essentially, you're going from getting a decent amount of rewards to hitting a spot where now the rewards are a much smaller trickle, basically decreasing the faucet from full blast to a drip. However, you can still play as much as you want. In a lot of other games, you've got an energy system and you just completely run out of the ability to play at all. So instead of a hard cap on playtime, it's a soft cap on how rewarded you are. And that can be frustrating, but it's also still more generous than some other games. Yeah. And I think I do like it better. Granted, you hit it too easily with Silver Chest, so the fact they're going to fix it, I'm thrilled. <laughs> Agreed. Well, to get into the meat and potatoes of tonight, I'm going to switch over to another section where hopefully, if I did this correctly and technology agrees with me, we're going to watch a quick video. So everybody cross our fingers. Our fingers. <laughs> and is it loading? I cannot figure there out we go. this puzzle. It loaded properly. Huzzah. Everyone can Okay, and so we are back now for a minute while we... Okay, so, sorry, I had another problem there. We are back now, and I'm going to, and just a second here, show us what the card art is. If everybody can hear us, and if the chat can make sure that they can hear us, I'm going to show up what that card is now. Alara, do you want to give a little talk about what you see here? Well, if you're familiar with Elder Scrolls, <laughs> then you can probably guess that right there is the Ruby Throne. The Ruby so, Throne. Yep, we, we've we been in the Imperial Palace um, a couple times, uh, namely in Oblivion, but we've actually seen the throne only in two games. In Arena, there was an illustration of it, and then in ESO, there was a quest in the Somerset uh, Sigic Order uh quest line that brings you there and i'm not sure if you see it as well in the one of the imperial city dungeons i don't quite remember but we should have some screenshots somewhere of that do you have this pylon they should be showing up there now there you go yep so there so it is that's clear it. that's the eso image that's not the arena image <laughs> yep yeah we got two images from eso and one from arena there's the other one from eso there mm -hmm. and then the most, the obviously the best version right here. <laughs> Jagar Tharn. Is it Jaeger or Jagar? I always say Jaeger. I'm not actually sure what it's supposed to be. Rhea Silmain says Jagar, I'm pretty sure. I think it's okay. Jagar. Jagar sounds right to me, but we all know how I am with pronouncing ESO <laughs> names, so we're not going to take my word as authority for that. <laughs> I'll have to pull up Arena afterwards. 
just to double check. <laughs> Do they, is it voice active when they say that there? Yeah, Rhea's got voice okay. active. Rhea has voice active. Okay. okay, I couldn't remember. It's been. I remember of loading into Arena, and then I don't think I ever actually started playing it. So <laughs> we'll completely <laughs> defer anything to that. Yeah, I haven't quite gotten into that one yet. But anyway, the Ruby Throne is something that's been mentioned several times in the games. It's the seat of the Empire of Cyrodiil. So that is the Emperor's throne right there. Literally, it is his seat. Yes. <laughs> the literal seat of Sundered Kings. <laughs> yep. So that's and awesome. So, yeah, a lot of the mentions of it uh, in the games, you know, they say that someone's taking the Ruby Throne. They, you know, say that to mean like all Cyrodiil by mentioning the throne. And we don't know, really know a lot of the background to the throne itself, but uh, it possibly has some metaphysical powers. Because when the throne is empty, then the dragon fires are unlit, which means that the Daedric princes might be able to invade Tamriel. But it also might just be a figure of speech. You know, we know that when there's not an emperor, there's a problem, because that is the entire point of the Oblivion game. And it's the main impetus for ESO as well. Mm-hmm. We don't know if the chair is magic on its own or not, but either way, that is the symbol of rulership in pretty much all of Tamriel. Well, at least when there's an empire. It's sort of falling apart sometimes. Yeah, so a big part of ESO is that the three alliances, the Ebonheart Pact, Fall Covenant, and Aldmeri Dominion are all trying to take the throne. Mm -hmm. And it's causing lots of problems for Tamriel. So very central to the story here. So one of the things that we had going on within the last few weeks is that Sparky Pants was teasing about the upcoming expansion before they announced it at Bethesda Gameplay Days, and they were giving out those puzzle pieces, which I think we talked about previously. I don't think we talked about the secret code that was embedded in it. Even if we did, it's really short. They had special characters in some of those tweets that were weird, not normal English letters, but with fanciness. And (laughs) compiling all those together in order gave the secret message the ruby the, oh boy the ruby throne <laughs> sits empty bringing death to all who try to claim it and you know that's just a nice very poetic way of saying everyone's fighting to be in charge but what we got here is card art that does a very good job of symbolizing that phrase skeletons all reaching out trying to get to the throne but of course they're dead so they didn't make it Mm -hmm. the throne's empty and there's death it the picture captures (laughs) it all pictures has more than a thousand words (laughs) it definitely does so i think now's a better time than any that we actually show the full card itself so we can discuss that and so lara do you want to give a brief description of what this means because it is a bit confusing to read at first Mm mm-hmm so uh, for people who are listening on the podcast later, the text, or who can't really see the screen that well, the text <laughs> is, uh, and the summon, you crown a creature. And then at the end of each player's turn, you give crown creatures plus one plus one. If there is no crown creature in play, when either player summons a unique creature, crown it. So it's a neutral three cost support card through be thrown. So it's kind of a chaotic card. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we are talking about, you know, is this something that can be, that can happen um, to your opponent's card? If they have a crowned one or, I don't know, if they steal your creature or whatever, can it still 
get plus one plus one plus one even if you're the one with the support. Well, so it, I guess it says I'm not that entirely sure. You can, it crowns for either player, so this can just benefit your opponent just as much as it benefits you. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you, you get could to set the pace though, because you get to pick the very first creature that's yes. crowned. Yeah, I could see that being used as something like Fell the Mighty too, if you want to use it like actually on your opponent's yeah, creature. That's, that's what possible. I was thinking the exact same. It doesn't say anything about it. Doesn't necessarily have to be a friendly creature. But yeah, if it is, I mean, I could definitely see that being used to make creatures very big. Like I could see that fitting in with like maybe Werewolf deck, or if you have a deck with a lot of unique cards. Which is yeah, it's hard to. I know because we were talking with um, Alaro, who was on the podcast previously as a fancy mud crab uh, about this for a while, and he wished he could be on tonight to talk to, about it. But unfortunately, time zones make everything hard, and it's probably the hardest boss of all. Um, but yeah, he was talking about like it's very cool that it pulls uh, like kind of unique card decks into it. Um, I'm thinking of Magic. I'm trying. Is it Solotin? Is that the name of like doing like the complete? unique decks i think that's what it is in magic singleton singleton that's it not soloton but singleton so it kind of brings that idea of the benefits of doing those kind of decks where you can use the unique powerful creatures in there a little bit better without duplicates because they're uniques um but it's also the only like only the third card that really has like unique mechanics it not unique mechanics mechanics for uniques as part of the actual uh, card design, which is interesting. So it seems like a cool concept to introduce, but we're still curious about how it'll actually play out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the crown mechanic is unique to this card, so there won't be any other ones that use it. Yeah, I can also see it being used with uh, a lot of the lower-cost unique cards, like Ungolim the Listener. You could get some of those out really early, get this card out early, and they could get big pretty fast. It's good to get guys from the Dark Brotherhood on the throne of all of Tamriel. That's what we need more of. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. Or the Morag Tom. That'd also work well. Talisa, you had a point you wanted to make. Alara pretty much went into it. The low cost of it only being three Magicka yeah. is really exciting because it's something that can get out really quick in the game, especially if you've got that, uh, what is it, the coin that gives you this additional piece of Magicka early, early on. Um, so you can see this card coming out into play almost at the start, and uh, as if someone is able to destroy it, you can have that affecting a good portion of the game. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Pylon's complete so interesting. yawn in the middle of <laughs> talking there. I'm sorry. I'll be so more it's great. It's great television right here, folks. Oh man, it's been a yeah. night. It's been a night. Um, Basically. This seems like one of those cards where the flavor of it's really cool. I don't know about the power level necessarily, but then again, I'm not very good at analyzing competitive stuff. But it seems like there'd be plenty of fun had in playing with it. Like, if you put it down in a deck designed for it, trying to make sure you keep the crown, because that's every other turn you're getting buffs. Plus one on your turn, plus one on their turn, back and forth. Fighting for that could be a fun side mission to do, whenever you just want to spice things up in your game. And it might be good enough that that can actually carry you through the ladder some. See, someone says they need to put Iron on that throne. Well, yeah, she's the, one a hive oh, yeah. queen, so... Throne. A hive defender needs to go on that throne. Kwama king. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so I think there'll be a lot of interesting things that can come from this card. It's not going to be... 
Um, I know when we were looking at Haskell, the last card we revealed that it was much more of a flavor card. That was going to be a fun kind of card, but had zero real competitive value to it. Um, this one I could see creeping its way into like the actual meta. Who just got tickled? What was that? I'm not sure what uh, just happened. Like AKB, there. AKB, I think. We also can't see AKB right now, so I have no idea what he's laughing at. <laughs> this is a very silly puzzle. Oh, he's doing the Legends puzzle quests. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Theo <laughs> mentioned the other one that's fantastic. Mud Crab Merchant definitely needs to get on the throne. Oh. Yep, that'll that's be... a good choice. I'm building a deck based entirely on that happening. That's my new goal. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think this will be a meta-defining card, nope. but it is a card that I expect good memes from. It's true. <laughs> the crown i hope that it also i we haven't talked about they did add all the new animations into the game for a lot of the cards i really hope the crowning animation works like very well on unique cards but we'll have to see what that ends up looking like shift to a cut scene have a 3d model of the creature actually being crowned by yeah. abner tharn <laughs> the mud crab as it walks out and the little crown comes on top it'd be perfect or a sweet roll <laughs> <laughs> you pick the sweet role as your king awesome okay well I'm going to move us over now and we're going to actually just go right in to our next topic here I think Alara might be bowing out for this yep. conversation since she has a number of things she has to get to so thanks for coming on the yep. show anything it's you want to say before you leave no I don't think so. Still working to <laughs> change that Twitter handle. A surprising number of variations of Alara are actually taken. So at this point, I'm still at underscore Alara underscore. I did try a couple others, but yeah. <laughs> so we'll None see. None of them worked. Awesome. But yeah, well, you can find for... me either there or on the wiki or the Discord as Alara. So yeah, see you guys. Well, thanks Bye. for joining us. Good night. So as we saw that there is a reason everything is a little bit different tonight. We have our guest with us, Talusa, who you may know from such roles of UESTRPG in the UESP Discord and many other places. So, Talusa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what kind of brings you here doing these things? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm. Uh, I live in Canada. That, hey. I'm off onto the other side of the uh, great country than uh, Pylon is, but we are uh, taking over. Yes. Uh, by trade, I am a commercial interior designer, which is a little bit uh, off from the uh, gaming side of things, but uh, tabletop gaming kind of came into my life probably about five years ago when at work with a handful of different uh, other interior designers, we started joking about how nerdy we were, and it sort of kind of became a challenge point. Uh, and we jokingly said, well, at least we don't play D&D. &D. Uh, <laughs> and then this joke just continued on for weeks and weeks and weeks until, well, do you want to play D&D? &D? And so we uh, kind of hummed and hawed over it because we're not that nerdy. Uh, and then we eventually, uh, I broke down and, picked up the starter set for the newly launched edition, which was fifth edition at the time. Uh, and we got together one evening and played through and that kind of defined what we were going to do for the next five years. So it's been really exciting and uh, that's been a big part of it. And from that, uh, that first few games 
D&D lends itself, I think, uh, 5th edition is set, is set in the Forgotten Realms, so if you're familiar with the Baldur's Gate games, uh, that's kind of a part of that world. I didn't really know too much about it, aside from that Baldur's Gate game that I played in high school, and I didn't really want to learn a whole new set of lore, and I've been playing Elder Scrolls since Daggerfall. Uh, I, in, in Catholic school in, I think, grade 8, uh, we, I won a reward for something I don't remember what, and the ill-informed teachers gave the D, uh, Daggerfall box set as that prize for whatever Christian school. Uh, <laughs> they gave Daggerfall as a prize at a Catholic school. Uh, unaware of did the, none uh, of them play it? Did no one see the cut? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, isn't like the box art guy? like and a the naked King? and a basically uh, yeah, a naked woman? No, that's Arena. Yeah. That's arena, gotcha. Yeah, so it had a it had the lich kind of uh, skull holding the saber on the box art, and then inside, of course, is all the eight uh, bit nudity and everything else that came along with it. And uh, yeah, that defined so much of my life for such a long time. And I figured I, I don't want to learn new lore. Let's play with the lore I know. And so I wanted to get a game kind of going in Elder Scrolls, and that's kind of the start of it. Awesome. So, like, what made you, like, you loved Elder Scrolls for a long time since you were a Catholic schoolboy, and we'll continue to call it that for as long as we possibly can. Um, I wasn't a boy for a, a point of time in that life. Excellent. And, the like, the British North America Act makes that a very reasonable thing to happen in Canada. So there's your little <laughs> Canadian history lesson there. Um, so, but what specifically, why did you want to do the Elder Scrolls 1 instead of using either something something similar and just kind of base some characters off of it. What made you actually want to build out a full Elder Scrolls RPG? Uh, probably naivety was probably a big part of that. <laughs> Not understanding the amount of work that I was about to undertake on myself. Yeah. Uh, that was some poor planning. But I looked around to see what's out there. Because uh, D&D 5th uh, edition, while it's, it's perfect for your standard high fantasy kind of tropes. Everything's there. Uh, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. I wanted something that played a little bit more true to Elder Scrolls. Uh, and I looked around trying to see who else had been building stuff. And I found a couple of things that were half started and they weren't very good. Uh, I found other systems. There is a, a UES RPG, which is confusing because it's missing the T. Uh, it's based on D100 systems, well, 100-sided dice. Uh, and that wasn't really what I was interested in. I wanted to play uh, a D20 game, which is D&D. And so I thought, if it doesn't exist, build it yourself. And so I got started, and I thought I'd just kind of start with, I'll go for the five for five iconic classes, kind of starting with warriors and mages and thieves, kind of the three main from Elder Scrolls, and kind of go from there. And I just kept building. I think we're at third. I've built 13 classes. A lot of them, of course, are very similar to what comes out of the box from vanilla D&D. But uh, Nightblade is a very unique Elder Scrolls-specific class uh, that I feel like is very iconic to D&D, or to Elder Scrolls. It's been there forever. And it's such an interesting story behind it, the Shadow Magic, Shadow Key, uh, a game I never played, but it, it was very much around, uh, I've, right. using the UE, UESP wiki, I was able to read a lot about it. <laughs> such an incredible story. Uh, and nothing like that really plays in. So building uh, that character and spell swords, uh, I recently updated with a Warden class. 
Uh, and some of the classes weren't, didn't really have the right feel to them for elder schools. So it kind of started with that. Uh, and then building a, a, a bestiary of the unique, like mud crabs. Uh, while a giant crab in D D stat block might work, mud crab is different. Uh, and then as uh, Elder Scrolls Online has been so awesome to bring so much inspiration to this, uh, because it is not a single player game. It's based on multiplayer stuff, and D D is a multiplayer game. So uh, that's been a huge for inspiration. And then of course, Legends. Uh, it coming out has been one of my favorite things. I don't play a whole lot of Legends, so I'm not really knowledgeable about it, but the art that's come with it. Uh, it's incredible it's so to see these yeah. fantastic artists building things that we've never seen before and things we can't see because of the engines that are required for video games. Um, so yeah, it's been... And then uh, I don't know how much you're familiar with uh, D&D, I think I saw Lost. Did you mention that you play in Discord? I play yep. quite a bit myself, too. I've been a DM a number of times, but nice. my current team is all missing, so it's a bit sad. I've been one of the main DMs in my group since I first played it in 2009. Yeah, yeah. so I'm relatively new. Which is, I just started in 2014 with uh, the release of the 5th edition. Mm -hmm. um, but I never got a chance to play. I've been the DM ever since, uh, which I, you always need that. There's always someone in the group. D&D <laughs> &D has become such a, uh, a behemoth of a franchise right now. If you've been paying attention, there's a, there's a show out there called Critical Role. Yeah. Uh, it's a group of voice actors that get together on Thursdays on Twitch and uh, they They've been playing for, what is it, four years now? And uh, they're on their second campaign with their characters. Uh, they just recently launched a Kickstarter and they're sitting at, uh, I think it's 9 million US dollars that has been put towards them to turn that uh, idea that their story that they've been playing in Dungeons and Dragons into a animated series. D&D uh, itself is having um, their live events every year uh, I think it started three years ago, and now they've, I think just this year, they announced it's going to be a, a set yearly date, a big live event where they're going to come out. It's essentially going to be like a D&D &D con, essentially. Uh, so there's a lot of movement in it, which is really exciting. Yeah, D&D definitely has a, a resurgence. And I think a lot of that is from the like kind of critical role where you have these like fantastic voice actors going in, doing all these things. And it's it makes it normal. It makes it less of the joke about we're not we're not that nerdy, right? Like we're pretty nerdy, but we're not playing Dungeons and Dragons in our basement. But all yeah. of us, when, whenever we have made those jokes in the past, have always been like, but it does sound really cool. Doesn't it? I think a lot of that has happened. I'll be like, yeah, I don't want to play Dungeons and Dragons until I actually started playing. I was like, Oh man, this is so much fun. This is so cool. This is so much better. Uh, yeah. And it's be, it's become so accessible at being on Twitch uh, everyone's able to kind of live stream and you're able to see how it's played, uh, which so much of before it was so inaccessible because you get these massive books that are 300 pages each and you need three of them to kind of get into it. And, and some of the older editions have books on top of books on top of books. <laughs> uh, and it, it becomes so difficult to, how do I play? How do I get into this? Uh, and with being able to kind of just throw it up on Twitch and watch uh, Adam Coble or Matt Coville's uh, playing the game uh, on YouTube. Uh, 
you can get kind of an idea of how are these rules actually supposed to work? And it becomes a lot easier to understand and there's a lot less to parse. So you can just jump into it. And I think with fifth edition, that's also uh, brought a lot into it. I don't know. Uh, do you guys play? What, what editions do you guys play? So I've only played fifth. 5e. I started with a small amount of 3.5, played four for a few years, and then have been playing five basically since it was D&D next as a playtest. Yeah. Uh, I, From what I've heard, again, I haven't played the older systems. I've read them. I've read 3.5 and I've read four, uh, which four sounds really interesting, but also really cumbersome. Uh, but fifth edition kind of lends itself to, um, I've heard it described as rules light uh, in compared to other RPG games and to previous editions of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And so it becomes, it lends itself to more of the, the role playing side of the role playing game. Uh, and that makes it, I think there's something uh, interesting about that, uh, that brings into it where uh, the other ones might be a little more intimidating. I think one of the points you made earlier is that getting into it was always such a daunting thing for people. I mean, they've got starter sets yeah. now that help, but RPGs do not make it easy for them to explain themselves to people. And the concept's not hard. You can explain the basics of how a game works in a few sentences, but they never do that. They always start by pointing out how different these types of games are and how incredibly special they are. And they're this huge, unique, hard-to-understand thing. No. You pre think about who a character is in a situation, you make decisions, and the game master is the one who tells you the consequences of those decisions. And then you start making specific great... rules to resolve it. Yeah. I think that's a great point to kind of jump into if there's anybody listening that's not familiar with what it is that we're, we're now talking about. Uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is a, is a tabletop RPG, and so it's pen and paper. Uh, so it's where games like Daggerfall Arena were inspired from. If we look back at uh, old Elder Scrolls, it, it was launched, I believe, if I understand correctly, it was a homebrew D&D game that someone transformed into what became Arena. Uh, so RPGs, uh, being aware of what Elder Scrolls is, you're probably already halfway there to understanding what it is that this <laughs> pen and paper version of what it is that we play would work like. Uh, so it's playing a role, role-playing game. Uh, typically in this type of setting, you're going to pick warriors or mages or thieves to kind of play. Uh, and there's usually two types of players. You've got the heroes, which are your player characters. Uh, there's usually three to six of these. Uh, and then you've, the other type of player is a, a unique player uh, called the GM or the DM, the game master, or if you're specifically talking about Dungeons and Dragons, the dungeon master. Uh, and so you've got these heroes and they play their characters, they make choices, they role play, whether that role playing is uh, some sort of acting through with the characters that you're encountering with or making choices in combat, uh, because that is a role-playing choice as well. Uh, the GM on the other side, or DM, uh, they play pretty much everybody else. So all of your NPCs, that's carried through uh, the GM. Anytime that the players, uh, the heroes describe an action that they want to take, the GM then takes that action and describes what happens. How are those uh, choices resolved. Uh, and then the GM has help with this. There's a set of rules and guidelines that they're able to kind of pick through and walk through. And also there's dice, uh, which is probably the most fun part of, of the <laughs> game is rolling those dice. And those dice act as a type of randomness. 
uh, which help determine whether an action succeeds or if it fails. I think so, that's a very succinct uh, description there. Absolutely. So as you already pointed out, the Elder Scrolls series came from a home-brewed role-playing campaign, and they are still to this day role-playing games, just video rather than tabletop. So the universe itself already really lends itself to trying to set the types of stories that you tell in a role-playing game in the world. So the tabletop idea makes perfect sense, and I see why you would go ahead and do it. What do you think was the biggest challenge, the biggest incompatibility between the default 5th edition rules and the way Elder Scrolls works? What was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome? Well, the biggest hurdle for me to overcome to start with is probably myself, and it has nothing to do with the rules. Uh, just kind of picking a, a goal and a direction to go into and sticking with it, that can be hard. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, the rule set does have its own challenges. Um, one of the things I love about the Elder Scrolls, uh, I never played, starting back from Daggerfall going forward, I always played a custom class. I never wanted to select one of the classes and go from there. I always wanted to do what I wanted to do. Uh, and then with Skyrim coming out, uh, there was no class. There was no selection anymore. You just played how you wanted to play, and that defined your character. And I loved that part of it because that's how I've always played Elder Scrolls. D&D 5th Edition doesn't work that way. It's a class-based system. So that's one of the first things that I don't necessarily like about 5th Edition. There are other RPGs out there that are classless, and I do play one on Monday nights. Normally, I'd be playing a game called Open Legend, which is a uh, it was a Kickstarter uh, RPG, and it is a classless system. And uh, it's been really inspiring to think of if I were to make my own uh, Bethesda-approved uh, <laughs> RPG based on the Elder Scrolls world, uh, I would probably take a lot of inspiration from that type of classless game system. Uh, but within D&D 5th Edition, uh, I decided that I wanted to stick with the class style system. And you've got a lot of the, the standards that are there. You, your warrior is there. Uh, your mage is essentially made through the wizard class. Uh, your thief has a lot of connection with the rogue. Uh, and then, of course, it kind of splits out into your more hybrid type classes uh, around that. Uh, the second biggest challenge that I find is... Magicka. I love in Elder Scrolls that anyone can cast magic spells, whether you're a brute barbarian or uh, the high scholarly wizard, everyone has access to magic. And then, in, of course, in D&D 5th edition, we don't have that luxury. Uh, so that's unfortunately one of the choices that I decided to take of making it as accessible as possible to people to jump into Elder Scrolls. Being familiar with 5th edition, they wouldn't have to have a massive change uh, to how they already play to jump into it. Yeah. But I have incorporated, uh, in the Dungeons Master's Guide, there is a uh, section, page 280-something, uh, that is the about fact spell that you point. can even say page 280 blank is amazing to me for trying to remember the Dungeon Master's Guide. I have couldn't referenced it so many times. I can imagine you've gone through that book a lot. Uh, so that gives a, a suggestion on how to change it instead of uh, D&D uses, 5th uh, edition uses spell slots, which essentially uh, you can cast three 5th level spells when you're at 8th level or however it is. Uh, I've decided to kind of scrap that idea because that does not feel Elder Scrollsy, uh, and go with a spell point system, which mimics kind of how Magicka works. 
makes sense. Um, so that makes that brings in a lot more of that uh, Elder Scrolls feel. Right. Did you have to do much adapting of the the variant rules spell point system to make it more Elder Scrollsy, or has it mostly worked out of the box to get the feel you wanted? Uh, the in the box uh, spell point system is you convert spell points into spell slots to cast spell to cast spells. Okay. Uh, in my custom rule set, I, I've rewritten that spell casting rule set uh, so that instead of referring to spell slots, you're just expending magicka. If a spell, I think it's a, a third level, uh, sorry, a second level spell requires three magicka to convert into a second level spell slot. Instead of doing that, you just, I use three magicka to cast a second level spell. The spell just has a magicka cost. Just has a magicka cost. That's nice. That makes and sense. Clean and easy. I like that. That's a very good implementation of that. Yeah. So then there is, uh, I've had, I'm not the most technically skilled with a lot of different areas. So I've had a lot of help on, uh, I have a Discord server where there's about 300 people and probably about two dozen uh, active users that have been really helpful. And they've been able to take, uh, they've, they've built for me um, uh, character sheets that kind of incorporate those spell point ideas. Uh, along with uh, indexed uh, PDFs, because I think I've got four, I think, packages in the basic rules, I think is 200 pages. And so I've had people come in and help bookmark those. So they're actually usable. And so it's been, the, the community has been great. So when uh, you first started it too with that, did you kind of, you started it and kind of started getting feedback right away from it? Or did you kind of come up with a solid base of what you thought was good and then kind of spread it out slowly amongst people you knew and then let it grow from there? Kind of how did you approach gathering that like 300 person Discord server you have there? Yeah, uh, well, Discord is still relatively new to me, so I'll jump into that. But when I first started, um, it was, we were playing the, the starter set. Uh, with me and my friends at, live at a table at, at my friend's house. Um, and we kind of got through it and we, we were slowly making our way through. And while that was happening, I was eagerly writing down new rules to kind of put in so that once we were done that starter set, we would jump right into an Elder Scrolls campaign. And so that was kind of my first guinea pigs were uh, my group of friends to say, this is what we're going to do. And then I think two of them have played Skyrim and that's pretty much the extent of their knowledge of Elder Scrolls. So it was mostly just for me uh, and they just wanted to hang out. So that worked. And so they were, they were willing to do so. And so we, I was able to put this rule set in front of them, kind of give it a couple of uh, uh, tries. It seemed to be working okay. So I, launched a website, put it all up there, uh, started putting together PDFs that people could download and start playing on their own. And surprisingly, people were downloading this. Um, I think at the moment I've had about 8,000 downloads of the basic rules, which is way more than I would ever That's expect. Awesome. Um, and I know that there are uh, regular games that are being played, which always blows me away that someone's using this hacked together system that came out of nothing and people are playing it and they, they're telling me about how much fun they're getting having with their friends and coming together and that's just so inspiring uh to hear people enjoying something that you created now when did you notice that people started downloading it that people figured out that oh hey this is a thing huh i mostly i just started 
I started, I have everything linked through Bitly so that when people download, I can kind of see that it's coming through. Uh, and then I, I have a Twitter account that I'm not, I'm terrible at social media, <laughs> but I am on Twitter and people started saying, Hey, you should get a discord. You should get a discord. I was like, ah, I don't really know. I don't, what, who uses discord? What is this? And I, I decided to take a look into it and I, I opened it up and suddenly people were, uh, joining and every day I had five or 10 more people. Um, and suddenly it was, oh, this isn't just me who plays this. There, there are others. Uh, and every now and then you Google yourself, and I've seen games on Roll20, which is a uh, digital tabletop uh, system. I, I've seen people advertising on Roll20 using this system, uh, which I thought, hey, that's neat. That's really cool. Uh, and then, <laughs> so really it was after the Discord uh, opened up that I was able to notice that there are uh, – Good chunk of people that are that are that want to play an Elder Scrolls game and have been playing Elder Scrolls game uh, through D and D. Uh, this just kind of gives them a, a a different way to kind of bring it in. And I've been building stat blocks for monsters and uh, trying to bring in like thieves guilds and the factions that are there. So uh, there are other people out there too that make fantastic D and D fifth edition versions of Elder Scrolls, and I'm love to share what they do too because a lot of the things that they do they do better than i do so of course we're all just trying to have fun together so i'm now, now a lot of people have always been going like i really want an actual like official uh tabletop game for elder scrolls how would you feel about uh bethesda branching out and making their own i think i saw that fallout was getting a board game Yes. And now board games are obviously different from D&D. There is no tabletop. There's no There's no board. Usually there's no board in... Yeah. Uh, the rules are less defined. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you've got a map and there's those Dwarven Forge minis that you can essentially make a board game out of it. But uh, when I saw that Fallout was getting it, a board game, I started thinking, I wonder if Bethesda... And that was, I think, around the time that Legends was coming out and they were starting to... Uh, really expand the the IP of Elder Scrolls. And I thought maybe Bethesda would be looking at returning to their roots, especially with the current, I would call it a resurgence of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It right. does seem like it's more popular now than ever. Uh, and role-playing games, while they are a very small sector of the board game uh, economy, uh, it is growing, uh, you, and with Kickstarter, you're seeing a lot of them coming out, and a lot of it's being built on. And so, I would I would love to see Bethesda really uh, grab back onto those roots. And I would love if they would ask if I have any input to give on to it. <laughs> I've essentially been doing this for the last three or four years, and I, I know what I would not do again. And uh, I would love to help. Do you know if anybody from the studios have tried playing your game, or they probably keep I have that hidden? not heard any contact from Bethesda. Interesting. Um, we'll have to throw that into one of our interviews with them sometime. Yeah, we'll definitely make aware. a plug for it. Be like, hey, have you guys tried this? You should I just was, hire him to make the real one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Even as a consultant, just to say, hey, I would love that. I think that'd be amazing. But even if even if it came in and just totally wiped out that I would, no one would play mine anymore because. Bethesda made there, I would be so happy yeah. uh, to be able to just have that around. Um, I was reading the uh, Polygon put out 
on the, during the 25th anniversary kind of week, Polygon put out a, a long article about uh, an interview with the different creators from Morrowind. And a lot of them talked about their D&D games at the time. And I just, yeah. I think that's so cool. And I, I imagine that there's people in the studio still playing. Oh, I'm sure there are, yeah. Um, so I, I'm hoping that you don't spend all of your time actually just working on building the RPG. I can imagine you do most of your time is set doing that, but you do still get a chance to actually play it with your core playset. Is that accurate or? No. Um, <laughs> I, I do spend most of my time building, but it's, you know, it's fun for me. I wouldn't be doing it if, yeah. it, if it wasn't and rewarding in its own way. Uh, I play uh, Monday nights. I play a different RPG with uh, family members. On nice. uh, Wednesday nights, I play, uh, I'm in the middle of a Storm King's Thunder game, which is a module in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I play that with a group of uh, friends and family. And then maybe about once every three weeks or so, I get to play my Elder Scrolls game. Uh, and the, the reason why it's, I play those other two games, the weekly games I play on Skype and on Roll20. Uh, so it's so much easier to get a game set together. Uh, my Elder Scrolls game I play in person. I have a two-year-old daughter. Uh, my friends have a three-year-old son. Uh, it's hard to make time. I know all I know. about that. So. Yeah, yeah. The, the hardest boss in Dungeons & Dragons is finding a time. It's too real. That is too real of a yeah. comment. Yeah, so it's, I know what you mean. So when you had to get a chance to it, and every three weeks or so you do get to, can you kind of give us like an example of what one of those playthroughs would look a little bit like? Like what kind of adventure would actually your like your group go through? Not in full uh, detail, obviously, because we don't have five hours absolutely. to go through them all. But <laughs> uh, The biggest part is the food. Uh, we usually get around and we just eat. Uh, and every, every we, we pretty much make an excuse to eat by playing uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it's, it's more about eating with friends. Uh, but the game itself, uh, I take a lot of liberty with the lore. Uh, and essentially what the game is set up, it started just the way every good Elder Scrolls game starts. Uh, they were on a prison ship. Uh, <laughs> the Imperials had them taking them to Anvil. Uh, they were going to transfer them off onto a cart, taking them back to the Imperial city where they were either going to be put to death or put to slavery. So they had to get off this boat. And just so happened that a fireball rips through, presenting an opportunity to escape, and they did. Uh, since then, they've come across an ancient uh, alien-style portal, which is something, uh, If well, I won't give away spoilers from any other games. Uh, it, you came across these arcs that ended up being uh, ancient portals that uh, they had to figure out how to work. And once they did, they transported themselves into the plains of the Adra. And so it seems like these ancient peoples uh, where back when the div divines were a lot more present on Nern, had built these gateways to their Adric planes, which are the the planets that kind of float around. So I, I take have taken the liberty to believe that those planes are very much like the planes in Oblivion, where they are physical places. Uh, so there are Adric denizens that are there, uh, but the portals essentially just take you through into kind of like a temple where they would used to speak with the Cyrodiilics of the, or the Elysian or the Aliens at the time. Um, and we're kind of uh, unwrapping that um, 
mystery of what's going on. Uh, some of the Daedra have invaded some of these Adric planes, causing all sorts of trouble, and now they're trying to uh, uh, solve this. That's awesome. That sounds really interesting, and now I'm jealous and really want to play through that. <laughs> There are some really cool games that the other people on Discord have kind of talked about. We've got some people who are real rebuilding Morrowind, uh, or Vardenfell, rather. Uh, someone has been putting together a Tyranny of the Sun campaign, which is based on uh, Dawnguard, which I think just sounds so cool. Uh, people have talked about the uh, Elysian or Alessian slave rebellions, and of course, uh, Dawn of the Third Era with Tiber Septum, and all those games sound amazing. Yeah. There's so many spots in history that if you had like a good solid rule set with, you can figure out exactly like what you just want to do and kind of go through those lore scenarios yourself and obviously break lore completely as you're doing it. So that's a lot you of fun. Kind of have to. Yeah. Uh, if you stick too much to the lore, the I mean, there's so much in the games that you just can't do because yeah. it's built with a game engine. Yeah. Uh, so the world's actually a lot deeper than it looks like. Um, and so you have to. Uh, Merkmire has been the, one of the ESO latest. That's been incredibly inspiring, uh, both from the, the creatures that are there. The Voroplasm are probably my favorite creature I've seen. Having an acidic ooze that kind of can eject itself onto you and reanimate your corpse. There's not, there are oozes in the D&D setting, but not one that's like that. It's so cool. Uh, and then the story of the Wujika, which is one of the Delves, that's such a cool story that I just, I want to elaborate on. Uh, it, it's so, uh, not without talking about it. It's something that lends itself to a large group of people to uh, stop this cataclysmic event that could happen, which I'm not really quite sure why it got set to, this is a Delve story and not the overarching <laughs> story of uh, what was going on in Merkmire. And then Teeth of the Teeth of Sithis is also a really cool story that's almost built around a D&D team. Um, but yeah, ESO has been so inspiring. Awesome. So I think we're getting close to the amount of time. Lost, do you have one more question you wanted to ask there? or are you? Well, I was going to ask about the like the coolest moments that have gone in-game, but yeah. he went into that without us having to ask. <laughs> so that was fantastic. And uh, I can tell one quick story. Yeah, go uh, My players made their way back to Anvil at one point, and it very much inspired from uh, the events of e ESO. Uh, Anvil had been taken over by a kind of pirate groups, so there is different pirate factions that have kind of taken over, and the they're they're currently it's uh, yeah the locals were kind of just let them do that, so. There's all these different pirate tribes essentially set up there, and my the heroes kind of came in, and they knew they had to fight them off, but they didn't want. To, they knew they couldn't fight them, uh, and so all of on their own ideas, uh, the bard, uh, the, the rogue went out and created a poison, which turned out to be a laxative, which the bard <laughs> then slipped into the drinks of one of the pirate groups that were they were, were about to put a raid out onto the town, and so they had to cancel the raid because of the Usile Upipes that they had to deal with that evening. And then uh, they got, so then they started a rumor that another tribe was the one who did this. So then this became this huge war on the streets of Anvil, which eventually led to a Khajiiti group that had put their group into the uh, lighthouse full of skooma and essentially a big uh, <laughs> uh, 
big drug den, which made a huge explosion, blowing up the lighthouse and killing most of the uh, pirates. And that was, it got out of hand really quickly, but it was really <laughs> exciting to watch. I think that really, this was your game, right? This was, this was in my game, yeah. So that really illustrates the kind of stuff that can happen in a tabletop role-playing game when the dungeon master is passionate about the world that they're doing yeah. stuff in. And you've got some creative players. And, so and I'm glad you decided to make it Elder Scrolls. destroying these places that you hold dear, because I love Anvil. Yes. <laughs> so you're going to have to, do, if you ever do another adventure that goes to Anvil, it'll have to be a prequel is what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just a ruin now. So I think the question on everybody's mind now, too, is now that you've enticed us all into playing this and we're going to probably have to start a World 20 game on the UESP Discord, which I'm throwing out there now lost, we should play this on World 20 since you're far away from me. Where can we find it and how can we download it? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter uh, at UESTRPG. Uh, same with on Discord, UESTRPG. And I have a website. Which I it's it's a free website, so it has a long. I haven't didn't purchase a uh, a domain for it, so it is. But if you Google US, UESTRPG, uh, it should be the first thing that comes up. And there's uh, everything is free. I I do love donations. Uh, it does help pay for some of the uh, uh, software that I've had to bring on to kind of build some of it. But and it's all free. Massive amounts of time. <laughs> and massive amounts of time. Yeah, I, I, I do enjoy um, some of that. So please, yeah, come take a look at those. And uh, Discord's great. There's always people talking and uh, the set's always being iterated on and there's always new stuff uh, being built. I'm currently working on a Monsters of Merkmire, which should be coming out hopefully this month, if not next. That's now, so I do cool. have a question, too, before we uh, go off. What inspired you for your uh, project's name? <laughs> well there's already seems to be an established brand of unofficial elder scrolls products uh and so i didn't really want to deviate too much from that so looking at how uesp has been so successful over the last uh what is it 15 years 1995 i think i can't do math but whatever that that's a lot more than 15 years uh so kind of taking that's been a a, a successful way of understanding an Elder Scrolls product and that it's unofficial. I, I wanted to ensure that in the product's name, it was noted, this is an unofficial fan-made project. I like it. We'll, we'll, set, we'll tell the lawyers to come back so that none yeah, of the UESP yeah. will sick their dogs on you today. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, on behalf of myself, uh, Lost, AKB, and Alara, we really want to thank you for coming on and chatting with us tonight. It's been a blast, mm -hmm. and I've learned a lot about the unofficial Elder Scrolls tabletop RPG game, if I can actually cool. say the acronym properly. I can barely say our own podcast name, so don't feel too bad if I mess that up. But yes, thanks so much for coming on, and I hope you uh, do well and keep making it. Can't wait to see the... Monsters of Merkmire, which is also a great name for an expanded bestiary, I'd just like to point <laughs> out there. Um, Lost, where can people find you if they're looking for you outside of this? Everyone knows the drill by now, but best place is on the UESP Discord, and I expect I will see the normal behavior after one of our streams shortly in general chat. <laughs> and AKB, how about yourself? 
Uh, you can find me losing at Legends because I'm <laughs> terrible at this game. I see you're only like level what eleven, so you still got you still got time to learn on it all. He only had twenty nine hit points left, so he was real close. <laughs> I, I had him on the ropes there. Yeah, it's just the first. It's just the first enemy of this expansion. And as for me, even though you can't see my name below, I'm Pylon. You can find me on all of the social medias. And don't forget to check out UESP underscore net on Twitter. Search for the unofficial Elder Scrolls pages on Facebook because I tried searching for UESP today and realized it doesn't actually show up when you search UESP on Facebook. And make sure you join our Discord and you can get in all the fun there at discord.gg slash UESP. And with that, thank you all for coming and hanging out with us tonight. Hopefully when we're back next week, you will not have as many technical difficulties. Um, and anybody who's listening on the podcast, make sure five-star review, make us happy. We'll keep doing these. Uh, we really appreciate it. So on behalf of everybody here, have some fantastic adventures in Nern, and we'll see you all again soon. So long. <laughs>